your hometown, maybe a, a pro athlete or an actor or an actress. I think there's some people from Houghton that are well known. I know there's a plaque on the outside of the wall by the foyer that's talking about a woman named Clara Tear Williams who wrote a hymn that's very well known. And I know there's other musicians and composers and authors that come right here from Houghton that are famous. I don't know who we would say our hometown hero is. Maybe the coach that has the world record in snowshoe racing. I'm not sure. I once met a famous actor. Um, We were on vacation. It was Easter vacation, Easter break. And we had gone down camping in North Carolina on the Outer Banks. And we decided it was Easter Sunday morning, so we thought, well, we'll go into town, we'll, we'll go, uh, go to church, and then after church we went to a little grocery store. And while we were in the grocery store, in walks this little town's hometown hero. And you can guess who it is when I whistle a few tunes. <laughs> I don't whistle very well, but you got it. Somebody said it. Andy Griffith walked in the grocery store, <laughs> and we just kind of we looked at each other and said, is that really him? And when he went out to pay for his groceries, we went right behind him, <laughs> and we just pleasantly shared Happy Easter with him. And, and then later I thought, you know, he's probably the most famous person I've ever met. And I thought that was pretty exciting. I recently went to my high school reunion. I went back to visit my mom, and it happened to coincide with my high school reunion. And I found out that my next-door neighbor is a rock star. Little Brian Ficchino, a kid I grew up living next door, playing with. I had no idea, but according to his older brother, anyway. He has a following of several thousand people, and he warms up for all these famous bands. And he has a CD, and, and I thought... You know, I've never seen his picture on a poster in the music store or plastered on the front of a magazine. I've never heard his name spoken by a DJ or even heard any of his music played on the radio. Not that I really care for acid rock, uh, loud, whiny guitar music. Some of you might like that kind of music, and that's okay. But I just could not believe that my next-door neighbor, Brian Ficchino, was a rock star. You know, this must have been the reaction that many in Jesus' hometown in Nazareth had when they heard about his reputation. They could hardly believe it. One of their very own had become so well-known. News had spread around the countryside about his teaching and about all the miracles he had done throughout the area. He had taught in the synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness among the people. Matthew tells us that people brought him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering from pain, the blind, the mute, the demon-possessed, those having seizures and leprosy, the paralyzed, and Jesus healed them all. Now here he was, visiting his hometown of Nazareth. He had grown up there. He had attended that very same synagogue as a young boy, And this was probably the first time he'd ever spoke before his hometown crowd. He had broken many years of silence, and as the hometown hero, he was the one that was given the privilege of reading the scripture that Sabbath. His old friends and neighbors had high expectations of what Jesus might do for them. The reports of everything he had done in other parts of the area, in Cana, in Jerusalem, in Samaria, in Capernaum, had spread throughout the Holy Land. So, 
with eager expectation, they listened carefully as he read the scripture. Jesus requested the scroll of Isaiah's writing, opened it up, and he found the passage that he was looking for. And he read this. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and to release the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. After that, he handed the scroll back to the attendant and sat down. This indicated that he was beginning to be ready to teach them. A rabbi in the synagogue traditionally would stand when they read the scripture, and then they would sit with all of the listeners sitting in front of him when it was time to deliver the message. Well, everyone was pleased with with his reading, and their eyes were fastened upon him as they eagerly awaited his message. What they didn't expect was what he said next. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, he himself had come. He was the one they were waiting for. He was filled with the Spirit and sent by God to preach, to do miracles for the poor, the prisoners, the blind, the oppressed. They were amazed, but they were skeptical. Sure, he was good with words, but they began to wonder, how could he really be worthy of the acclaim and the adulation he received elsewhere in Galilee? And then they began to doubt what he revealed to them. The congregation took offense at him, according to Matthew. Jesus sensed their unbelief and skepticism, but they made no attempt to hide their feelings. They were saying, Isn't this Joseph's son, the boy who grew right up here with us in Nazareth? They were skeptical. They were unbelieving. How could this man be worthy of the reputation that had preceded him? They were, in a sense, saying, How can this poor carpenter's son be our promised Messiah? He had not shown his divine power to us. Who does he think he is, claiming to be the one to deliver us from oppression? How can this be? Jesus' next comments confronted their unbelief. He said, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we've heard that you did in Capernaum. But I tell you the truth, Jesus continued, No prophet is accepted in his hometown. In other words, he was saying, all you want me to do for you is perform, do miracles like I did in the other places. But you don't have the faith to believe who I am. You don't understand the truth about me. In Matthew's account of Jesus' rejection, the people questioned each other. Where did this man get this power, this wisdom? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? And aren't his sisters right here in the synagogue with us? Where did this man get all these things? Jesus' reply was this. Only in his own town and in his own house is a prophet without honor. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Mark records the story as well. And he said Jesus could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people to heal them. So in response to their unbelief, Jesus reminded them of another time when God's own people rejected him. This happened when Ahab was king of Israel. Ahab was a very evil king, more evil than any of the others before him. 
He had rejected God, and because of the bad influence of his evil wife Jezebel, he decided to follow the false god Baal. He built a temple, and he set up an altar to Baal. And the Lord revealed to the prophet Elijah that there would be no rain, not even dew, in the next few years, except by the word of the Lord, because of the rejection of his people Israel. As a result, there was a terrible famine in all the land. But God, interestingly enough, commanded Elijah to go to Zarephath, outside of Israel, where God would miraculously supply food for a destitute widow there. Zarephath was located in Phoenician territory, which would obviously make it a Gentile town. There were many widows in Israel who were suffering from the famine, but God chose a Gentile woman to receive his blessing rather than those unfaithful Israelites. I don't think being reminded of this story made Jesus' listeners very happy. Incidentally, there's a story told both by Matthew and Mark of a woman from Phoenicia, that very same area of Zarephath, who went up to Jesus and he begged Jesus, she begged Jesus, to heal her demon-possessed daughter. The disciples wanted Jesus to send her away. But Jesus granted her request and healed her daughter, and he said it was because of the mother's great faith. But an important question was asked at that time. Was Jesus sent only to the lost sheep of Israel? Obviously, it angered the Jews in the synagogue that Sabbath to be reminded of the fact that Elijah was not just sent to help widows that belonged to God's chosen people, but a Gentile widow. When God's people rejected him, he chose to bestow his blessing elsewhere. And now Jesus was comparing these people in Nazareth to the unfaithful Israelites of centuries ago. But he didn't stop there. He had another example for them. He reminded them of another instance when this time the prophet Elisha was directed by God to heal a Syrian leper when there were many with leprosy in Israel. This event is written about in 2 Kings. Naaman was a commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was known as a valiant soldier, and many victories were won because of Naaman, including a victory over Israel. And during that war, many Israelites were taken captive, in particular a young Israelite girl who became a servant to Naaman's wife. When the young girl realized that her mistress's husband had leprosy, she suggested to him that he go to Israel, to the prophet Elisha, who would cure him. So after a while, Naaman did what he was told to do, and that was to dip himself in the Jordan River seven times, and out he came completely cured. Jesus' clear implication was that the Israelites in that era were unworthy of God's miracles, and so he bestowed his miracles on outsiders who did have faith in him. It's a not-so-veiled commentary on the lack of faith that Jesus perceived there in his hometown of Nazareth. Outside the village, Jesus had performed amazing miracles, but the unbelief in Nazareth was too thick. Even though they wanted to see Jesus perform miracles, they were neither worthy nor ready. A prophet wasn't honored in his own hometown. Instead, the hometown hero was rejected. Jesus had revealed to them that he was the one who had been sent to release the suffering and the oppressed. Surely they were the suffering and the oppressed. Their land was under a crushing tyrant. They lived in hopeless servitude to Rome. 
Roman soldiers occupied their territory and their town and forced them into labor. They were looking for a deliverer, and here he was, standing at their very doorstep, yet they rejected him, just as the unfaithful Israelites had rejected God years before. And so his blessing was bestowed upon the Gentiles. The Jews of Nazareth were so angry at Jesus' insinuations that they were unworthy of God's blessing. I imagine they were asking questions like this. Are you saying, Jesus, that these accursed Gentiles are on the same level as us, God's chosen people? Are these despised Gentiles to share in our inheritance? Certainly not. How horrible that you would suggest that God would bypass needy Jews in order to heal lowly Gentiles. Can you hear their pride? Can you, can you see their jealousy? Their rejection of Jesus was caused by their lack of faith in who he was, and they were angry, and their anger caused, was caused by being compared to the faithless Israel, Israelites from 800 years ago. Why did they reject Jesus? Because he was showing them that others besides the Jews could receive God's blessing. They hated the thought that foreigners were favored above them. They were angry that Jesus did not do miracles for them like he did for others, especially the Gentiles. They seemed to feel that they were the only ones that deserved God's blessing. After all, Jesus was from their hometown. They were the Jews. They were God's chosen ones. They were the only ones worthy of God's favor. Jesus wanted them to know that God's grace was available to all those who believe that he is God's son, even if they happen to be Gentiles. So his fellow townspeople got up, and in their anger, they drove Jesus out of the tabernacle, out of the synagogue, out of town, to the brow of the hill on which the town was built, to throw him off the cliff. They intended to kill him right then and there, but miraculously... Jesus walked right through the crowd and went on his way. That was not the only time Jesus was rejected by his own. There were many, many times that he was mocked and accused of deceiving the people. He had run-ins with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the high priests all the time. And even his own family rejected him and tried to quietly take him away. The people of Nazareth's violent antagonism toward Jesus was just a few months in advance of most of the rest of the nation that would reject him. He had commanded his followers to take the gospel to the lost of Israel, but he knew that his disciples would be like sheep among wolves, as many of his own people would reject them as well. Jesus denounced many of the Jewish cities in which miracles were performed because they did not repent. And he even said to them, Woe to you, if what happened to you had happened in the Gentile towns of Tyre and Sidon and Sodom, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. So he took the gospel to the Gentiles. He healed a Roman centurion servant, saying that he had not seen such faith as this centurion had in all of Israel. He met the woman at the well in Samaria and revealed himself to her as Messiah. And when the rest of the town came out to see him, he shocked his disciples by saying that the field was ready to harvest. And many Samaritans were saved at that time and proclaimed that they knew that Jesus was the Savior of the world. The disciples could hardly believe that this mixed-race 
people could qualify as God's harvest. Jesus healed ten lepers, but only one returned to thank him, and he was a Samaritan. And the hero of one of his most popular parables is a Samaritan. On many occasions, Jesus taught his disciples that Gentiles have the potential to possess just as much faith as the Jews do and are just as worthy of the grace of God. Jesus could hardly be accused of trying to win the favor of the Jews, but he was trying to prepare them for the fact that the gates of heaven will be open to the faithful no matter where they come from. Luke, a Gentile himself, and incidentally the writer of our passage this morning, was also a Gentile and recorded Jesus as saying, Many will come from the north, south, east, and west and take their place at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But many of God's chosen ones will be thrown outside in the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The week before Jesus was crucified, he wept over the Jews who had rejected him. He said, O oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wing. But you were not willing. Paul would later write to the Romans, It's because of the sin of the Jews that salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel jealous. But if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their fullness bring? And then Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. How plainly and vividly he taught the people, how desperately he wanted the Jews to accept him. How discouraged he must have been when he went back to his hometown and felt his rejection. How it must sadden him when we reject his teaching because of our lack of faith or because of our pride or whatever it might be that would stand in the way. The people in the synagogue of his hometown rejected him when he spoke about the prophets who were sent to nations outside of Israel. They didn't see God's love as being wide enough to encircle others outside of the boundaries. Sure, they believed in God, and they'd been waiting for the Messiah. But did they have faith strong enough to see that this man, Jesus, was their promised Messiah? Could he possibly have come to save others outside of the Jewish race? John tells us he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who do receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. Jesus came to Nazareth to give his neighbors the light of the gospel, to give good news to the poor, sight to the blind, to set them free from their prison of sin, and to help them see the power of God's grace. But this message doesn't stop there with those people. It's meant for many others. It's meant for the whole world. Did you know that in the temple in Jerusalem, there was an area called the Court of the Gentiles? Sort of a porch-like structure that was set up as a place where Gentiles could come to pray. And that was the only place they were allowed to go. That's as far as they could go. There was even signs posted in both Greek and in Latin warning them that if they stepped beyond the boundaries of the court of the Gentiles, 
that the death sentence was their punishment. The temple priests saw this core area as valuable real estate and allowed merchants to come in and sell animals for the sacrifices right there in the temple, right in that very porch area of the court. And it was there in the court of the Gentiles that Jesus burst in to drive out the money changers that were using this part of the temple as a marketplace rather than as a house of worship. Jesus was making a way for the Gentiles, once again, to come in and draw near to God. And when he drove those money changers out, he quoted from Isaiah, and he said, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. We usually think of Jesus as being angry because of the desecration of the temple at that time. But he was also angry that the Gentiles no longer had a place where they were able to go to pray. And he wanted to change that. Our passage this morning reminds me to be grateful. Isn't it wonderful that the gates of heaven are opened to all people, all who are faithful followers of Jesus? As far as I know, I I don't have any Jewish blood in me. I wasn't born one of God's chosen people by nationality, and probably many of you weren't either. That makes us the Gentiles. Yet, we are still God's chosen people. We are still the children, his very children, when we put our faith in who he is and what he says. What would it be like today if the message of the gospel were only meant for a specific people at a specific time in history? But Jesus was allowed, and later Paul, to share the good news with all people. God said through Isaiah, Foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to serve him, to love his name and worship him, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring into my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. We must remember salvation is available to anyone who believes in Jesus, no matter what background that person has. Some, like the Nazarenes of Jesus' day, will reject the message of the gospel And some have not yet had the opportunity to hear it. But we live in a place where the gospel flows freely. We have a great privilege of living here in this community. But with that privilege comes responsibility. We've been commanded to help spread the news of who Jesus is and what he promises. And and that motivates me. That fills me even with a sense of urgency to do what I'm called to do, what we're all called to do. And that's to share the message, the gospel, with all people. This church has traditionally been a place where many have been sent to go into the world to carry the good news. But it's also a very unusual place in that the world comes to us in the form of many international students every year. We have the chance to share God's word with people who have never opened a Bible before in their lives. And every once in a while, we have the privilege of seeing someone come to the Lord for the first time. It was right here at our altar just this fall that a young Chinese girl bowed before the Lord and gave her heart to Jesus Christ during one of our worship services. It was downstairs in our prayer room where another international student, a young man, made a decision to follow Christ. And here behind me, right here on the platform, a Korean student was baptized who had come to us as an agnostic the year before. He publicly made the most important decision of his young life. 
We're a very blessed body of believers here. Let us never be accused of rejecting Christ ourselves or causing someone to turn away from him because we didn't reach out in love. Paul reminds us in Romans that there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all, and he richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. May we see Jesus as he reveals himself to us and never allow anything to cause us to reject him or his children. May we remember to thank him for the chance that we have to know him and to share him with others that he puts in our path. And may they not reject him, but embrace the saving grace that he offers to all of us. Let's go out and share the good news. Would you please pray with me? Lord, we thank you for giving us the opportunity to know you. We thank you that we can be your children. Now give us the courage to go out and share the message with all people and help us to welcome those who come here that do not know you. And may they call upon your name and be saved. In that precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.